Workplace well-being is transforming and it's people people who are leading the charge. We're about to hear from a panel of global leading CHROs where we talk about mental health and the fundamental links to both performance and leadership. Joining us for the conversation are Cara Groover, Chief Talent Officer at Bain & Company, Ali Bebo, CHRO at Pearson, Dina Baker-Nell, SVP and CHRO at Avery Dennison, and Rosemarie Sheehan, CHRO of Mass General Brigham. Welcome and thank you so much for tuning in for this incredibly important conversation about the future of work. I'm delighted to be joined today by such an esteemed group of people leaders to think about where we're at in relation to mental health in the workplace and what does the future look like. My name is Dr. Nick Taylor. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Unmind and I'm also a clinical psychologist and I will be hosting today's conversation. Thank you all so much for joining today. I'm so excited about this conversation. There's so much to cover and I can't wait to get into it. So I wanted to, to, to kick off with quite a broad question, which is you know, if we think about the topic of mental health in the workplace and well-being in the workplace over the past few years, how has it evolved? What changes have you seen how, and, and what changes haven't you seen? I'm happy to, to kick off the conversation. Um, in our health system, I think, the last three years have brought much more open conversation about mental health issues. I think caregivers in general tend to um, care for others first and not for themselves. And what I think that they have come to recognize is that in order to care for others, they first have to take care of themselves. And I think the pandemic really um, put a spotlight on that and has really brought that to the forefront. We're just having many more open conversations about it. And, and would you say that it's a post-pandemic change that you've seen? I think it had begun a little bit before the pandemic and just accelerated with the pandemic. So more willingness to have the conversation, more openness about the topic. Absolutely. Leaders talk about it. People openly talk about their own uh, personal challenges. So it's no longer hidden away. Now, that's not to say that it's consistent that everyone um, speaks of it as openly, but I think we have a lot of leaders who have come forward to talk more openly about it, and especially our physicians, uh, and they have been much more open about it since the pandemic. Super, thank you. I'm happy to add on to that, and, and maybe partly because um, at Bain, we have a very young population. So one of the shifts that I've really seen is, you know, five years ago, we had our most recent hires talk about it a lot. It was important to them. They'd gone to college talking about it, openly having support for it. Um, and I think through the last five years that we've recognized that we have to support that. And that it's not enough just to be led from the bottom by individuals. And so actually, I've seen a lot of other corporations do this as well, which is put in place the infrastructure, talk about it as a leadership team openly, making sure that um, you have a language that you can actually talk about in your company, which I just think is really important because people of, I could say my generation, I won't say our generation, I don't think we grew up with talking yeah. about it, right? What is the, how do you even discuss it, right? right? And a big shift from, I think our generation was comfortable talking about physical well-being, right? And being able to talk about going to the gym, right? Or taking care of ourselves. But the idea of saying, I need some space for mental health to take care of myself. I just don't think it was in our vocabulary at all. And I've seen a shift. We'll talk about some of the challenges yeah. that brings, but. We are in more than 60 countries around the world. So we have pockets mm -hmm. 
of the population in different places. And I would say the leadership capability as well. And I would say in addition to what's already been said, as far as the employees asking, we've worked um, to build our leadership capability to listen and share elements where we are also vulnerable. And I think the pandemic for us really was a platform that we just had much more blurred line with work and home because of the global nature of the business. Well, I would say anybody, everybody had it. Doesn't matter if you were global or not, um, but trying to separate and just do so many things for your family and navigate such a stressful time. It was an opportunity for uh, human resources to put more human into it and help have programs, practices, and leadership capability to just listen um, to, at the end of the day, to just listen and create space for people. Yeah, I read a statement and it started with a question and it, and it was, what could be the next pandemic? Mm-hmm. And the answer was mental health pandemic is here today. And I think that's really important because in the last three years, there's just much more awareness and more facts. I think the U.S. Census said something around one in three individuals are suffering from either, you know, chronic anxiety or depression. So it's not a topic that we can't ignore. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's a pretty profound, you know, kind of term like pandemic level discussion, but I don't think we can avoid it. And, and to, I think everybody's point is that it's, it is making it a priority and a, and a conversation topic that has to happen at the, in the C-suite across leadership in the organization. Um, and it's, it's a reality I think that is important. We all kind of align around. Yeah. And I love how you said, if we don't take care of ourselves, right. we can't take, take care of our consumers, our patients and one another. So. What's so interesting is that you each come from um, such different organizations and there's such commonality in in the language you're using. And I think, um, Ali, that point around the, uh, is it a pandemic proportion topic? I I think people who are close to the subject would argue it is quite close, actually, and there is a genuine crisis. Um, But I'm interested to to think about when when we hear the term mental health, are we actually predominantly in society still really hearing the term mental ill health more than we're hearing mental health? I think for a long time we talked about it from a mindfulness. You know, what are your early, what are our early on well-being programs? Yoga, meditation, and those are very important, but I feel like we've had to and chosen to really up our game um, for, to go way beyond that. So I was going to talk about too, I think the other thing beyond COVID and remote work is the amount of stress and change in the outside world, mm-hmm. you know, and whether you're living in the United States where you have so many Supreme Court changes or you're living in Europe where there's a war going on, right? That the, the whole idea of like, I think the older generation, it was like, you know, take off your coat when you come to work, like you hang that up, you hang the outside world on, on a hook. And when you're at work, you focus on work. And I think now we all recognize you cannot and should not mm-hmm. try to separate those things. And the idea of being your authentic self and being able to talk about. So when I think about mental health to me and answer your question, Nick, it's not illness. It's, it's the ability to be yourself, to be able to talk about and communicate all the things that are happening that are impacting you, Mm -hmm. right? And being able to communicate that in a safe environment so that you can then, you know, it seems to be, it's not a stigma. It's it's not a stigma anymore or less, right? 
Dini, I think your point's really interesting there, and it links also to your point as well, because I think mental health has been through perhaps three phases in the past five years. The first was, um, it was still very, very reactive. We were waiting to find people who are unwell and then provide them with support to become well. And the second phase, as the stigma started to lift, was the um, almost lumping it in with a kind of good place to work type topic, um, which is mental health is um, yoga sessions at lunch or it's mindfulness in the afternoon. Um, and it's a perk, it's a benefit. Um, and then I think it's evolving into being, um, I think, very much what you're describing, which is this sense of actually it's it's indistinguishable from the lived experience of an individual and fundamentally linked to the performance of our people and linked to how well we can all be and this topic around the age of multi-crisis is so interesting because we've lived through the most traumatic period if you think of the past five years it's, un it's unimaginable it's like a hollywood film actually horror story it's a horror story yeah. isn't it and, yes. and fast forward yeah like it's <laughs> happening What's the end? And I kind of thought after COVID, oh, I say after because it's, you know, I opened the newspaper this morning and it's on the front page of the paper again. But I kind of thought, well, we'll get back to normal, you know, back to life again. But it hasn't happened. And we've had all of these um, negative things that are happening, such as, you know, threat of war and actual war and financial crisis. But also all of these dilemmas to unpick. Well, hang on, everyone started working remotely and it, the world didn't fall apart. So what do we do about workers coming in or not coming in? What do we do about if we know that digital is bad, if, it's all, if people are always on, how do we manage people's work-life balance? Does that even exist anymore, to your point? And I guess that, that comes to the, the a question that you must all think about a lot, which is, what does the modern people leader have to grapple with in relation to the employee's in the workforce? Like what are the topics that are front and center of your minds at the moment? All of the above. And right. I think that's actually what makes our roles really challenging, but it's also what makes the role of a leader in any organization really challenging because the leader has to, you know, our, the people leader, like all of us, have an important role to play. But individual leaders of individual teams actually have a really critical role to play because they are the direct connection to our people. And so it's all of the above. It is every day there's something in the news that upsets some segment of the population, not all. Um, there's some major dilemma. There's a crisis in, in a foreign country. There's something happening locally. And uh, I think it's really allowing or encouraging our leaders to provide an environment where people can actually talk about it in a safe way. Because mm -hmm. the conversations are really important for people to share. And yet we, we have uh, people with all different perspectives and opinions. And so we need to create space for all of those opinions and all of those perspectives. So as people leaders, we really need to create the right environment and encourage our senior leaders and their leaders beneath them to really work on uh, creating the um, teams, the environment in their teams that really provide for the kinds of conversations that make people feel like they can bring their most authentic selves to work. And I think for leaders, they also have to uh, show some vulnerability. I think it's um, similar to what you're saying. And I, I was strong viewed that our managers are never more important than they are right. today. Yep. And how we equip and enable our managers to really have those coaching conversations and in many ways get in front of, you know, be on the proactive side of just taking care of their needs 
Um, but the, the role of manager, I think, is really front and center right now. And, and that is where, you know, they're kind of building their mini cultures. It's, it's really accounting for these localized in-person conversations or remote conversations. And so it's top of mind for me as a priority that our, equipping our managers as coaches is, is really probably our number one theme and priority. Yeah, I agree. And the only thing I would add is how this ties in with diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it's really how we help our managers make this, back to what you, something you said, make this a great place to work, but not to get the achievement or the trophy or the certificate or whatever it is, but for individuals to come to work uh, and be their, their best, be themselves feel safe to be themselves. And uh, if they're having a tough day or how, how the leader manages and navigates these situations, these mini crises that happen every day in some pocket, how to navigate what to talk about at work, what not to talk about at work, all of the political landscape at the same time, right? Um, and then how to prepare them to, to listen and navigate and facilitate and not create any more division or to help knock some of that down and then just help individuals feel uh, safe. Mm-hmm. It's a new version of safe, right. safety mm-hmm. from a manufacturing mm-hmm. right. yeah. perspective, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it, it's interesting. I know you all are mothers. You, well, you're all parents, right, at this table. And it's interesting that one thought going through my head is as a people leader, I do feel incredibly responsible now for the entire lives of our employees, right? And, and to your you know, point, Nick, about mental health, like that, that's just part of them, not just smart business, but I think we're in people because we care about people, right? And then I think about what I tell my kids sometimes, which I sometimes say, it's just a job. And so and, and going through my head is how do I rectify both those things simultaneously? Because they're kind of both true and they're kind of both not true. Mm-hmm. I, I see nods, but I don't know what you guys it's It's been on my mind, and I love how you kind of set it up and, and described it, is we are now probably close to that age where our kids are the Gen Zs. That's and right. so we know where they came from. We know that they're going into the workforce that might be fully remote or hybrid. And then you go, oh my goodness. And I, to me, it's just actually raised a whole number of awareness because I see what she might, you know, my daughter's going through to think about, you know, the, just the broad population of employees that we have and the very distinct experiences. But the early career, probably more than anything, just are re- very much top of mind for me. And there's something interesting there, isn't there, with that, that group as well, because I yeah. think the leader piece, which we're definitely going to come back to as yeah. a topic, um, but then what's coming here is also thinking about that younger generation in the workforce. Yeah, exactly. um, and we know that that group of people have higher levels of mental illness in lots of research than in older populations and that they are quite isolated now if they're in remote or hybrid working and a lot of people have been in the workforce a bit longer say how can people be having a full work experience if they're not in person with their colleagues etc how can they switch off at the end of the day and you know so how how are you thinking as organizations and, and as leaders around young people's mental health specifically Um, And what can we be doing there? You know, I wonder if they're just more open about it. Right. Like, I wonder how many people of our generation went home, buried it deep, had bigger issues because of it, 
perhaps had substance use issues to try to deal with the pain of what people were going through. You know, I, I, uh, I, I am a mother, and what I see is they're much more willing to talk about it. They're open about it. They don't see it as a failure. They see it as something that is just part of who they are. And, and as a people leader, they actually are evolving the organization. It's fascinating to see whether it's through our ERGs, their involvement. They, they're much more active. Um, they're willing to speak out, whereas, you know, when I was 23, I probably wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I love that. I love that we are actually learning from them. So while we're uh, trying to establish the right policies and the approaches and the right, create the right environment, I think we're actually being pulled a little bit um, to, to do that because of our young people. What we've done to try to uh, make care more accessible, because I think one of the big barriers to addressing mental health is access. Mm-hmm. And there is just not enough access. And we've tried to create um, and leverage uh, more digital technology mm-hmm. to help support. And what we're seeing is tremendous adoption, especially by younger people. Mm-hmm. So, so we're trying to find novel ways of creating um, the right support structures and the right mechanisms and provide better tools. I definitely think they're more open as a generation. I also think, and in addition to that, they are a generation born into a digital world, yes. which it brings a unique set of challenges. Yeah. And they come, they come with expectations, and that becomes somewhat of a forcing function, again, back to the managers, is they do expect that they should be able to and or share and engage in those conversations about their whole life mm-hmm. or what they're going through. And that, that is, I think, actually... To your point, why didn't we talk about it? We didn't, but they, they're willing to, and they have an expectation that it's part of the discussion. Yeah. And Rose, when you say digital tools, do you mean virtual support? Or virtual mean, support, uh, yeah. I was wondering yeah. if you had found telehealth. other digital. Yeah, like te- lots of telehealth. Yeah. Um, no. I mean, the, a- the access issues are so significant that, you know, people who really need access to, uh, you know, behavioral health providers just can't get them quickly enough. So. We're trying to make those digital tools and those virtual options much more accessible. And I also think navigating that balance is important as far as listening and providing the right environment, but not overstepping and making sure that our employees have the objective third party and the confidentiality that they need to really address you know, what's most important for them. And I, I do think this is I could say attacking from many angles or embracing from many angles, but it is all of the things that we've talked about, uh, programs, leader capability, actual dedicated support for individuals, culture, inclusion. Um, it's, it's all encompassing. Uh, there's that all encompassing as a theme that's coming up, um, which we maybe we should speak to, which is this idea of the interconnectedness of a human being in work and, and actually we can think about policies. Uh, we can think about the wider macro pictures out of our control. We can think about what's happening for different generations. We can think about DEI. We can think about leadership and all of these and many other things. All of these things actually contribute to the topic of mental health and well-being in work. So it's it's um, you know I, I love the um, the metaphor of a seed and a plant and, and, and soil that the seed goes in and the water the seed gets and the light that the seed gets will determine what type of plant that seed becomes. And a human being is obviously very different to a seed, but not totally different. Mm-hmm. The environment that a human being finds themselves in, 
will determine their opportunity to flourish or will determine the likelihood of burnout or of struggling or having mental illness. Um, and that environment, I guess, is one of the key things that people leaders are thinking about. How have you personally managed your um, well-being and your health with such high-pressure work? For me, what I had to learn early on is to forgive myself, meaning there are only so many things I can do. And, and raising a daughter and, you know, wanting to be home with my family, I, I kind of recognized, you know, early on that maybe there are things that I, you know, or opportunities I wouldn't pursue. Um, or, you know, at that time, or I wouldn't, it's like the yoga class when you said that if it goes on my calendar and I can't make it, I was, I feel like, oh my gosh, I, why can't I get myself together to go do that? But just being very thoughtful about what is important today and for me and my family. So that was, I think my early lesson around don't, don't be so hard on yourself. You can't do everything and do everything really well. Um, and, and opportunities will come when it's the right time for you. And, and it's your timetable, not anybody else's. So mm, that's really, that's I really I, love that, you know, be kind to yourself yeah, it was, um, and also learn to say no as yeah, well. To, exactly. So there's a focusing on that as yeah. well. Yeah. I have this phrase, say no to most things. Right. It, it really is. And I, and I actually do it with my, my whole leadership team and the organization with HR, because we have so many demands on us. We can't do everything. Mm -hmm. And so I've kind of given them permission to, to be okay to say no to most things because it's, it is about prioritizing and doing fewer things, but better. Mm -hmm. One yeah. thing I've done um, building really on what you just said, I've actually articulated it to my family. So, and I've, I'm hoping, and I feel like it helps my children to cope in these situations as well. I will, I will express, I'm you know, I'm out, I've got a lot to do here and you're needing me to do this and I really want to do this. So let's just work and figure out how we can make this happen in the right way so I don't disappoint or that I do selectively disappoint. Just to, I guess, try to help them at the same time and give myself a little bit of permission so they understand if I chose the work call or the work trip over the school meeting or vice versa that they're kind of living it with me and seeing that I'm doing my best, but that it's most times it's not going to be an easy call uh, to hopefully prepare them the same. That makes, that gives me a sense of calm when, because we have to prioritize and we can't do everything um, that actually relieves some stress for me. So is that, is that managing expectations of both family and colleagues yes. and then being quite open about the challenges that sometimes that conflict can create. Yes. And hopefully also equipping my children to be able to do this for themselves. Meaning I don't, I don't want to try to paint a rosy picture of everything being perfect for them. And then they go out to the real world and Hey, this is tough. Right. So I want them to say, to remember, yeah, this, this, when they're going through it, when you said to your, Hey, it's, you know, it's a job. For, so I want them to kind of experience it with me, so some of it, so they um, hopefully have a leg up when they are in, out in the world and dealing with stresses coming their way. Uh, that's helped me. I, I would say that um, 
my focus on well-being has evolved a lot, and especially sleep. Um, and so I was of the generation where we probably all said, sleep is not necessary. You can live on five hours of sleep and be very productive. And what I've come to realize and what I talk about with my team as well as my kids is that's essential to well-being. Like that is the most important thing you do. So I think I have become more aware of sleep, nutrition, exercise are critical. And so I talk about it a lot. I talk about it with my team, but I also talk about it with my kids. I try to role model that behavior and, uh, and, and hopefully prevent for them what were many probably very unhealthy days where I was living on very little sleep. But I, I think that those are the ways we really need to begin to take care of ourselves is, is, is try to, you know, do those very basic, important things. So you talk openly with your team about Absolutely. those things as well. I, yeah. I'm very open about it. And, and when they're talking about their own deadlines and, and I, I am very open about, well, let's see what we can remove so that you don't actually have to do that at night. What are the priorities that you're working on? Let's review those priorities. Which ones can be delayed? What, what's really important? I love the, you can't do it all well. So you really do need to uh, decide what are the key things that have to be done. Do those exceptionally well. And really be open with people about why you can't get to everything. Mm -hmm. I think that's critical to just the whole balance of, of working and, and life. I mean, the word open resonates a lot with me. And I, um, I, I don't know if it's a benefit. I've worked at Bain for 37 years now. And I started at a company um, that when you're hired right out of undergrad and you're put in front of senior clients mm -hmm. and you're almost told to not be yourself. Like, yeah. pretend, no, don't, if someone asks you how long you've been with the company, just say, this is, you know, my second project. I'm, you know, you find the right language to answer it without having to say, this is the first time I've ever done something like this. <laughs> and you might be questioning why you're paying me all this money to do something I've never done, right? So you, you kind of, you kind of come into the company feeling like you can't be completely open. You're almost second guessing everything you say. And I think over the years that I have learned that there is such benefit in just being able to share, as you said, Rose, what's open. And I can think of a couple examples. Like I had a day at work that I had a terrible client meeting and I was crying on the plane home and I got home and I could share it with my family and kids. And my kids wrote me a report card oh. and they oh. said, you know, you know, being a mom, A plus, you know, and so, and so, but, but if I hadn't been able to share yeah. how terrible, they couldn't have been able to, you know, comfort me, right? Yeah. And I think about as a leader, I, I can guarantee you the places I've had the, the most impact on people is when I've talked about my mistakes, exactly. my failures, and being able to share them, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. and even, I was even thinking even this past year, I had a, I, I had a physical injury, I broke my femur, and it was so hard mentally being in my apartment in Boston, afraid to leave the house that I was going to slip on a piece of ice and being able to share with people that like mentally, this is really hard right now. Yeah. It is. But, but my team hearing that from me, I think made a huge difference to them being willing to share them knowing how to work with me anyway. So the whole, yeah. that's, a, that's a lovely topic, actually. How do we share when we're not doing um, when we're not doing well, when things are, are not good for us, you know, how, how, how well, equipped do we feel to share that and I, I i'm happy to share an example of when i got it really wrong which was that i was invited um to join a podcast with a, a newspaper and it was to talk about burnout in the work workplace and this is the closest i've ever felt to feeling burnt out and i felt like such a fraud 
to joining that conversation and I didn't talk about it. And it was a real mystery. And I share it because it was in the, the, the learning I took from that. I don't regret it in a way because actually the learning was yeah. don't do that again. You know, I could have been my authentic self yeah. and I wish I had been. But I would love to know from you all whether you have, do you have similar examples of that or, or do, you, do you have advice for how to be open without undermining your position or, or is, is that not a paradox actually? I think it's it's similar to what you were saying that we we probably have the dynamic of at times that imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. So when you're trying to constantly you feel like you're trying to constantly prove yourself in the eyes of others, then at the same time you're like, but how do I be super honest and straightforward with like, oh, but I don't have it all right or I make mistakes. And I think that comes with maturity, but it is it is the 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 high, the idea of the imposter syndrome for people that I work with who I I know are kind of coming up the ranks. I try to really talk about that and mm-hmm. instill that sense of confidence and be okay with first acknowledge it and then two to the point around be okay with you know fast fails or making mistakes or just you know cuz then you don't grow and you know when you're in these positions that you don't feel like wow how did I get here somebody thought I could do this it's actually when you grow the most and mm-hmm. so kind of recognizing that those challenges actually can be incredibly transformative and help you, frankly, build the confidence over time. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about storytelling. Yeah. And we, I mean, I'm sure I would love to hear all your examples of how you're helping your leaders. But like we literally have sessions and pods where we force people to tell their stories. Yeah. Right. And, and then the whole table is like in tears, embracing yeah. them. But you did like I found you have to get leaders to actually take the actions yeah. to actually do it that that's a, such a powerful thing to sit in a room with your leader and to hear that lived experience and vulnerability and honesty how do you actually run those is there can you share some tips we did one that i thought was wonderful uh, the whole leadership team let's get to know let's tell everyone about ourselves and we had a whiteboard a poster board and we're going to draw our timeline and we're going to tell the story and you have 15 minutes to draw your timeline. And of course you have a number of, oh, what, why are we doing this? Oh, we've got yeah, money to make. <laughs> um, so we, and I did mine first. So I'll give you an example. I did mine in advance. Um, first of all, it's almost impossible to do, to tell your own life story without getting choked up. And no one in the room thought that. Um, and I'm not the person who has, um, overly shared or going into great levels of detail about challenges at work. But when you start to tell your story and some defining, what have you chosen and why? These are the defining moments you've chosen and you've put on a board. And then you start to tell the story and it's very emotional. And so many people who definitely from the conversations walking around were thinking they were just going through the motions and they couldn't believe when they just couldn't get something out. There were a lot of tears, uh, a lot of stories and getting to understand who you are at the table and why, what is so important to you and your values. And it does help us to even understand what motivates each of us at work, just understanding the story. So that was one opportunity to just open up and be vulnerable and hopefully feel rewarded might be the wrong word, but certainly not penalized for it. Um, and getting to know folks. And we heard about a lot of vulnerable moments for people. There's something you mentioned earlier, which is linked to what you just shared, which is about listening. 
yeah. know, really making sure people can listen. There's a, um, coming more into your profession, Rose, in the world of healthcare. Um, there's a, in the mid century, mid 20th century, there was a doctor's were struggling with peer supervision um, because um, human beings are not very good listeners, generally Terrible. speaking. Right? We mostly, when we're listening, we're thinking about what we want to say in response to what the person opposite us is saying. So what the doctors came up with is this idea that you would sit around a table like this and the person speaking would have 10 minutes to share their um, problem or whatever was going on for them in their life. That, during that 10 minutes, nobody is allowed to speak at all. So no one else is allowed to say anything. And if you, as the speaker, get to three minutes in and then you say, well, I think I've said everything, you're then sitting for another seven minutes in silence, right? So you can't cut the time and no one's allowed to say anything. And what always happens is that you speak, you run out of things to say, and you know, there's an awkward silence, and then you realize you've got more to say. And you keep talking about it, you get to the end of the 10 minutes, and then the table is turned, and you as the speaker then are not allowed to say anything for 10 minutes. And the group around you then speaks about what they heard. And as the person that spoke, you're not allowed to share. You're not allowed to say, you're correct, you can't do anything, you just sit in silence. And then the group has to really think about what you said. And then at the end, you then have three minutes to respond to what the group heard. And it's a, an amazing exercise because it teaches us that we often don't share everything that's going on inside and also that we don't give each other enough time to speak. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. I think that the, the two themes that I'm picking up that is we haven't really talked about is that sense of belonging and belonging to a team. Yeah. And I think that's the other piece is that when you think about the, the, the Gallup question of a best friend at work, you know, somebody's got my back mm -hmm. and I trust. But there's the end of that, which is feeling like you belong to, to a team and, and that you've got people that know you mm -hmm. and see you. I think that's a really important, again, back to kind of the proactive mental health kind of, I'm, I've got my needs met, is that you really feel your place and you feel a part of something. Mm -hmm. And that sense of belonging, I think, is really important as we think about, you know, people coming into organization. How do they see their work adding value? How do they see their work adding value to the team um, and really being seen and recognized? Those ideas of belonging and purpose, yeah, which are totally. quite intangible and difficult very, to pin yeah. down, especially in a busy world where people feel like, oh, we've got to make money. Those ideas are quite abstract or hard to, you need to give them time. Yeah. But they're so important for how well someone can thrive. Yeah. So if we think about a leader being able to provide an environment for their team where they can align to their purpose, where the leader is thinking about wanting to know do I know about that person's family life? Do I know about their passions? Do I know them? Have I listened to them? When the leader's thinking about, do I understand how this person identifies? What's the DNI kind of topics around this person? Do I understand um, what, what their ambitions are? You know, what, am I making time to talk about difficult things? Am I spotting their mood? I guess the picture I'm trying to paint is that it can be quite stressful for a, a leader to try and balance all of these different things. So how how can we, if we're saying that leaders are absolutely integral, right? Because if we start out earlier saying it's one of the top topics is how do we empower our leaders, which I totally agree with, by the way. But we're saying that this topic around mental health and well-being is really complex and touches every facet of our lives. How can we empower our leaders to do this well without overwhelming them? What are the things we need to be doing? It's, it's really hard, actually. I think that we've not done a 
great job of role modeling the right behavior from the senior teams down. And so um, I like to just not overwhelm them by just starting with a few things. Just listen, like check in with your teams. And in healthcare, we have large spans of control. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think leaders find it very difficult to get to know all of the people who report to them. And they're often in a distributed fashion. They're not coming into one space. And then of course our remote workers, it just requires a lot of intentionality. So we start with just really trying to listen and build trust. And I think if we can just start with a couple of small things that they can work on, and we try to um, really provide a lot of education around, of, around those aspects. If we try to do too much, they will be overwhelmed. Mm. So we talk a lot about trust. We talk a lot about building a team where everyone you know, builds trust within the team, not just the leader to the employee, but we try to start small. Yeah, I think it's a good point because it's, it's really getting to everyday behaviors. And I think the role that leaders can play is bring clarity and expectations, which from a performance need perspective, that's focusing them, you know, equip them with the tools and the resources to kind of do really good work. And in many ways, that's freeing them of unnecessary stress. And then I think that whole kind of, you know, caring, but also the whole being seen, respected, heard, you know, the opportunity to, to have your opinions be heard and count. I mean, that's a really you know, op, you know, I think incredible opportunity for leaders. But if you kind of break down the sort of employee needs that help them be able to perform better and, you know, be in good health, then I think that's, that's in many ways probably the easiest for leaders to kind of take in as opposed to a programmatic approach, a policy approach, et cetera. It's just really driving the everyday behaviors. Mm -hmm. And if leaders can remove the big boulders, the big obstacles that are, you know, creating friction in the day-to-day -day life, then, then you're, you've kind of got the paved, paved pathway, the frictionless way of getting, you know, your work done. But I think it's a behavioral conversation that doesn't necessarily have to be about the mental health of right, it. Exactly. But if you do this, the outcome is good health, thriving, you know, in a thriving environment. That's right. I, agree. I, well, I was going to, I agree with everything you've been saying, Allie. Um, I think belonging, the everyday yeah. behaviors, and I'm just a firm believer in you have to teach them and show them because yes. people have I to know what to do, right? So two things we've done that I think have been really effective. One, we asked our whole organization to give us examples of things that people had done that made them feel inspired and things that people had done that had made them feel uninspired. And, you know, a bunch of legal issues we had to work through, but then we shared them with the entire firm. Oh, I love that. Meaning and, like video clips? No, written, just written. Just written. Verbatim. So okay. it wasn't because we didn't want to have pe people. Yeah. It was literally from the mundane. Like someone would say, it was really uninspiring for me when um, someone asked, how was your weekend? And everybody talked about the ski trip they'd been yeah. on. Yeah. Or the, and they're like, I can't afford to go skiing on the weekend. And, and just those tiny tactical things, right? And on the other hand, inspiring things where people would say, when someone just swung by my desk or remembered to say, thank, sent me a note. Yeah. Recognition. And so, I mean, just those, ta those tactical yeah. everyday behaviors. Um, and the, the second thing we did back to your storytelling example, we literally do role plays with our senior leaders. And we, there's a, literally a card on the table and you pick one card and it's, it might say, someone on your team has come to you and said, I'm not sleeping well. I'm so stressed, I'm not sleeping. What would you as a le leader role play that conversation with them? And, you know, the leaders typically go to the, well, 
have you read that you need eight hours yeah. sleep? Yeah. Like they're going to the, as, as opposed to what's the story they're going to tell. You know what? I felt exactly that way at this point in my career. And here's what I did to overcome it. And that's what the person needs to hear. And how can I, well, but they need to hear this is not unusual, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Like this happened to me too. I'm vulnerable. Yeah. You, so That's just great. tactical examples of actually forcing people to understand those everyday behaviors. I think that idea of normalization yes. in health is so important. Yeah. I, I remember as a, when I was doing lots of therapy with people, and I would sit down, mm -hmm. someone would sit down opposite me and describe mm -hmm. something, say, oh, I'm so embarrassed to share this because you're going to think I'm so different. And they'd gone to explain to me exactly what the person an hour before had been saying in the chair. And there's something so powerful about normalizing, saying, do you know what, the, what you experience is normal? But then some, one of the topics that I think is really interesting is listening. And I think I worry that we sometimes are quick to say, we, like, well, we all need to listen, but we don't give enough time to actually learn how to listen. Because I don't think we teach it very well no. in school, in college, and maybe it's changing. But listening is actually really hard to do it well. And you have to give it attention, especially in this world where we're you know, getting buzzed on our wrists and our pockets and getting pulled in a thousand directions, making space to listen, knowing how to listen is key. And there's nothing more uninspiring than sitting across from someone when you're having a difficult situation and they're on their phone. Right. <laughs> that would be very uninspiring. So the digital tools become barriers yeah. to that deep listening. Yeah. And I think this comes back to, I mean, everything we're talking about, the number of programs and solutions that we can offer are great and are, are maybe still table stakes, but uh, to the person, they do need that leader in front of them to just be able to listen and navigate. And actually, they, there can be more forgiveness if the program doesn't exist or isn't perfect, more so than if they're just not being feeling heard. No so question. I still feel like you know we, we have so much more opportunity to support the leaders with that capability versus helping them navigate the off-the-shelf tool, which is also stressful for them because... Another thing to learn. To another thing to roll, that's being rolled out that I need to own. There's something isn't interesting here about the kind of... When we're talking about mental health and well-being, there's a part of it which is about the I, which is our, our individual self on, on this topic. And every individual in our organization has that, that sense of self in relation to this topic. But then there's something about the we. You know, how do we collectively work together? How do we collectively communicate to one another? How do we collectively support one another? And this we notion is really kind of organizational culture around mental health. You know, and, and, and actually what we're saying is the, the kind of champions of the we need to be our leaders and at every level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you have, and to your point, Nick, you have to have both the cultural company policies, processes, language, and then the individual yeah. leaders themselves, right? So if we're saying we want our leaders to take these roles, but a key piece is modeling behaviors, you've all given lovely examples of modeling good behaviors. How do we engage the most senior people to lead well on this topic? Because it, one of the things that we've kind of touched on is the idea that there's a generational aspect to the topic of mental health, and that perhaps some of the leaders don't come from a generation who have been able to speak openly or understood the benefits of speaking openly. And there's some great examples of leaders who do, 
but are, I'm sure we all know examples of leaders who struggle with this topic as well. So how do we engage that group to understand this is a strategic priority they need to focus on, and how do we empower them to do it well? One thing we did at a senior level, top 150, let's say, meeting, uh, we actually had a what we call a fireside chat, and it was myself and two other leaders on stage, and we wanted to emphasize uh, the importance in our role of everyone in the room for um, supporting mental health. And we actually just each shared stories, uh, a personal story. Uh, this was in late 2022. Last year, my godson committed suicide. So I shared that with that room. And it was very, um, maybe six months. So it was very difficult to actually say. Um, but I was facilitating the discussion. So I thought, I'm just going to say this and talk about even how much more I personally had learned about mental health and what else we needed to be doing. And then when I facilitated, um, each leader had a different perspective, but they actually gave examples about their children. So I, I felt that th it wasn't necessarily about them, nor was my story. Well, but it is all about us because it was something that we'd experienced and that we were, that was close to us. So we got a lot of positive feedback on that, just showing our vulnerability. That wasn't necessarily a session we were looking for positive, uh, uh, the scorecard on, but we really did want to have that vulnerable conversation to help them to model it so they could have similar conversations with their teams. And that again, we're just normalizing it. Um, these are the things that many people are experiencing and these were just a few examples. So. It yeah. seemed to work. Thank you for sharing that. And I think it's, it's, great... it, it, it's also that sense of like inviting people to connect to this topic on a personal level, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, which then makes it much more meaningful to us. Yeah. I think that what gets people's attention is really talking about the missed opportunity in performance. Right. Okay. And so this idea of, hey, we're performing or, you know, this is what it takes to perform. I frame it around, well, that's great, but I suspect you've got sort of an opportunity here to even unlock even better performance mm -hmm. if you address the key needs and drivers. And, and that's always an interesting discussion with leaders. They're like, oh, but this is what it takes. And, you know, I know they're burned out, but we've got to deliver. And it's this idea of you actually could deliver more and really being, um, I think, as over as possible around the missed opportunity from a financial performance perspective. Speaking now that, language. Yeah, and I, but, it, but then you break it down and, and then that goes back to, again, the role of you know, our CEO. They also have to also bring into that conversation around, yeah, you're right, you know, it, we get it, this is what we're doing and we have high expectations and, and goals and, and expectations of the street, but um, it is that recognizing or that calibration I think that needs to happen. Well, I was going to talk a little bit about metrics because I know, Nick, that you're a yeah. big believer yes. in metrics yeah. and when you talk about at the top. And metrics do, yeah. it does impact our business, measurement right? Measurement drives performance. Measurement drives performance. Right? And there's so many ways to measure it. I mean, it's everything from actual leaves, yeah. right? It's from people that are leaving the firm. Why are they leaving the firm and the reasons they're leaving the firm? It's when you talk about engagement or belonging exactly. of the you know people on the team. And so I think if you're trying to get your leadership team, it's not, it's certainly not hard these days. 
to bring the hard facts that just say this is impacting our business in so many different ways. I, I, mean, I totally agree. If you can't measure something, you can't manage it. And it's, it's, it's actually the responsibility of all of us as advocates for this topic to bring the data. Right. Yeah, exactly. But I also think it's the responsibility of all, all of us to shed light on the full story around mental health, yeah. which is that mental health isn't just a set of problems. Yeah. It's an amazingly profound and wonderful part of being a human being. And it's a huge opportunity. And, and you know, I, I like to roll out the world mental health definition of mental health and highlight how it doesn't even mention problems. You know, it, it's talking really, a, it's a performance topic. It's a, if you talk about, the, look at the best sports players in the world, they will have a psychologist in the corner working on their mindset, yeah. right? Yeah. If we, if, when we talk about psychological safety, I think there's a risk sometimes people go, oh, you know, because it's like they think it's like, oh, it's something we need to think about but they're not thinking about it as, well, psychological safety is proven to allow people to do more creative work. Yes, so you're going to get exactly. better outcomes. So it's about reframing everything to be not just about solving problems, but seizing opportunities. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And growing. And, and growing. growing. It's about individual and collective growth and therefore company growth. Nick, do you, do you have any examples for us of either companies or individuals that have just done a really good job of kind of reframing the positive aspects yeah. of professional development? I think when it's most exciting, when, when mental health in the workplace is really a shining light, it's when it's not just one thing, but a multitude of things. I think we need senior leaders to be publicly talking about mental health and, and to be sharing how excited they are by the topic and linking it to performance, like you mentioned, Ali. It's about really getting them to model um, the opportunity, mm -hmm. speak about it as a broad topic, not just a, a problem to solve, but also to speak openly about the problems as well, because we must recognize and acknowledge that. I think it's about making sure that organizations are leading with data and are searching and seeking out for ways to get ever more elaborate with that data. Mm -hmm. I think it's making sure that organizations are really empowering their leaders to lead well across the whole organization from the most junior manager to the most senior executive. And I think it's making sure that we think about the individual and their breadth of needs around the topic of well-being. One of the things that's really stood out for me today is how interconnected our health and well-being is to every aspect of our lives. And I think we must empower employees in every aspect um, to thrive. Um, so I think it's a myriad of things. Thank you. What I would love to do, um, because I've so enjoyed this conversation, I could probably spend hours more talking, but we're going to have to wrap it up. And I'd love to l leave it with one more question, which is looking forward. Um, we started by looking back how the journey we've been on. Looking forward, what is the journey we want to go on? What is your greatest hope around the topic of mental health and well-being in the workplace in the years to come? That it's not an isolated topic. Yeah. Right. It's a part of living, working, how we, just part of our conversation, it's not a standout. Uh, and I, I remember, and I'm sure everyone here, um, how when we started talking about gender diversity several years ago, and it was the topic, and every time there was a promotion or a hire, now it's becoming more and more embedded in everything that we do. And I think this is another perspective that I hope is just embedded in everything that we do. So like a, a golden thread that's weaving yes. through every yeah. aspect yeah. of work. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Yeah. I guess I hope that every individual will take care of themselves yeah. and forgive yeah. themselves, yeah. as yeah. you said, Allie. And, and 
Nick, you and I were talking about this earlier, just also recognize that it is a journey. Mm. Like we're going to make mistakes. They're, we're going to have two steps forward and one step back. And so I can't be the flavor of the day that then gets forgotten. If And so how do we make sure that we just, as an, as a, as a world, as a, as a, as a group of individuals continue to move forward on this journey. I think it's this idea that we're on a kind of a, a maturity curve mm -hmm. and we've talked a lot about awareness and we've talked about kind of the programmatic approach and it's this like kind of ideal space and place where to your point, it's just in part of the flow of the work and it's not a separate topic. It's just that kind of, I don't know, behavioral expectation and, and also, you know, kind of what we do to really help our employees feel that they can have a place in the role that they're in to really give their best, their best work and their best self. Mm, but it's that sort of integrated kind of part in our DNA, um, part of the conversation and it's not separate. Mm -hmm. I'm actually hopeful for the future. We're here talking about this. Mm -hmm. Three years ago, we probably wouldn't have been. Mm -hmm. We have young people who are coming up through the ranks of leadership who look at it really differently. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, think it, I think it will become part of our integrated uh, you know, people programs, but really just how leaders think about it and lead. Now, of course, we need to continue to um, you know, emphasize it and drive policy and tell stories and make it part of everything, but I, I'm actually hopeful. Mm, I love that, that optimism. And I'm actually feel inspired by the answer to that question as well, because I think it shows how far we have come that we're now not seeing the world of work and mental health. Yes. We're seeing actually the foundation of the world of work is our people yeah. and our people's health enables performance. Yeah. And I think that's amazing that we're at that place already and I'm excited about the next journey. Yeah. Thank you all so much. Thank, thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you. It was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh.